This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Good evening, Mr. Hamilton. I don't know what to say to that. It kind of made me feel a little bit uncomfortable, but in a good way. If you get where I'm going with that? It was a little weird. Yeah, get you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. You got to keep it spicy. So, exactly. Um, Cool episode, uh, so nice even number number 90, and it's very fitting that we would have former uh, chairman of the Wild Sheep Foundation, Brett Jefferson, on the, the, the talk of sheep. He is, uh, he is absolutely fierce when it comes to conservation. Um, he was at the helm when I got involved with the Wild Sheep Foundation, and, uh, you know, Brett... Brett is a power horse. Um, he just is so passionate about conservation. And um, when it comes to doing the right thing for wild sheep, do not stand in his way because mm-hmm. he will run you over. He truly is passionate. He and, and he gets stuff done. He's one of those guys that goes out and gets after it and gets things done. It's pretty cool. Totally. Uh, I had a chance to meet him in person in 2020 in Reno at the Sheep Show. And you knew right away, he's, he's quiet, he's meek, he's humble. But as you said, when he's got a cause in front of him, he's, he's a pit bull. Right. Uh, and very, very rare on in the 90 episodes we've recorded. Do I say nothing? And I don't think I said an entire word this, this episode because I was just listening. And a guy has done decades worth of wild sheep and conservation in general. You, you listen when he speaks and I was trying to absorb everything that he said. And it was before we knew it, it we were over an hour and wrapping up it was it was crazy and yeah just totally enjoyed listening to him well we didn't even scratch the surface on half that he's done um you know and and like i said i it's uh it's a privilege to get to talk to brett um it's a privilege to serve beside him and he he is a, a person that puts his money where his mouth is you know uh you know, decades in the wild sheep business and, and how many sheeps he taken off the mountain, you know, and for our listeners, we're not going to answer that question. You, you'll, you'll, we'll get to that, but uh, he's a guy that puts sheep on the mountain. He doesn't take it off. And uh, it, you know, he's, he's just uh, a powerhouse when it comes to wild sheep conservation and somebody, I, I, I know that I will look back on my tenure and I'll, I will, um, he will be one of those individuals that will I will always recall that you know he he goes above and beyond when it comes to to wild sheep and conservation. So oh, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, as you said, above and beyond, and like you said, put puts his money where his mouth is. He's our our new newest life member, right? Yeah, he's- yeah. So he was he was up at Jurassic. Uh, he's been at uh, I we had we had the COVID thing, but uh, he's been up here uh, for a number of years for the event. And was up fishing, and uh, he, he reached out and said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a life membership." And uh, sure enough, yeah. So he's, uh, what is he, life member number six hundred four, six hundred five? I can't remember the number, but uh, it's it's an honor to have Brett on on our list as a life member. And of course, you look across the fence, and and he's he obviously is given to a number of other conservation organizations across the landscape. So pretty cool, pretty cool. Yeah, but by the time this drops, though, you're going to be on the mountaintop, aren't you? Yeah, so I I'll be at a service. Hopefully, when this comes out, or yeah, you will no, I be. will be at a service. Will be um, unless something goes severely oh, awry. Don't see that. So uh, pretty excited about that. Just uh, you know, and again, Steve, we talked about this. Uh, you know, and of course, I was on the last podcast as as a guest, and you know, for me, 
this is my reset. This is when I get refocused, recaged, and and for me, I just get back to you know the basics. Turn my phone off, and and it powers me throughout the year. You know, it's it's so. Um, and, and, and our members are like that, our listeners, we know you're, you're like that too. And that's what this common theme that brings us all together is, as uh, sheep conservationists and hunters and all that sort of stuff too. Right. So pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. So, so, um, magazine. So, you know, we've got the new face of the magazine. Uh, we've been getting some feedback on that. We'd love to hear what you guys think about the magazine, um, and uh, we also have a couple of requests. So if you got any hunting stories, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So there's there's two types of stories you can give us. You can give us a full-on hunting story with a bunch of pictures and, and you know, 1,500 to 3,000 words. That's one. Uh, but if that's a little daunting for you and it's a little bit too much, we have our member highlights. It's 50 words, roughly give us 50 words, one or two pictures. We need high-res photos, minimum one to two megabytes. Um, and get that to us, um, get them in the magazine. 50 words is nothing. It can take you 10 minutes to write it, five minutes to write it. We'll edit it for you. Um, and it's just a great opportunity to show our members what we're doing out there in the landscape. If you're hunting, fishing, recreating, um, we'd love to hear from you as well. Take the magazine. We're giving away a couple Sitka hats. Thanks to our conservation partner, Sitka gear. Uh, take a picture with the magazine. The one that takes it furthest away with, um, in, I guess, in context. So, you know, if you're on a sheep hunt in, uh, I don't know, Central Asia, send us a picture with that magazine. And um, the person that takes the photo lo- the furthest away is going to win that contest. And then we- also we're giving away a hat to the uh, most unique photo. So what do we say? Don't do anything illegal, unethical, or unsafe. But uh, give us some photos. Send us some photos in. Um and uh, we need those by Oct- October 1st is the deadline yep. um, for this this issue. So, yeah, send us stuff in, communications at wildsheepsociety.com. But, Steve, you're, you do our social media. So, yeah, do it through Facebook, Instagram, any of that stuff, and we'll get it there too. Yep, absolutely. So, on that note, let's get you up the mountain. Yeah, can't wait, buddy. Episode 90 with former Wild Sheep Foundation chairman, Mr. Brett Jefferson. Enjoy the listen. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Mr. Brett Jefferson, talk is cheap. Awesome. It's so fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. It's just so excited to, to be with you guys uh, today. So, Brett, there's so much I want to talk about, um, but I want to start off with our personal relationship. Um, you know, uh, I, I got started in this sheep community relatively. I'm, I'm relatively a newcomer. I, I haven't been around a long time. And, um, you know, I was working at the, the chapter level in BC here and, um, kind of when I got introduced to the foundation was right, I think right in your initial term as chair. So you'd been on the board of directors with the foundation for six years plus. And, um, and I, I, you know, you were kind of, you brought me in, I felt that you were a mentor for me on the board. You know, you were, our, you know, of course you were the chairman, but our, our leader. And, um, I really felt that, 
you know, you took me under your wing and brought me into the fold with the foundation and, and provided a lot of direction and leadership and support for somebody that didn't have a clue what he was getting into. So, you know, it's really exciting for us to have this conversation today. There's so much, you know, I've worked with you on the board for, I think it was th- for three years we were on the board together, but of course, more than that with other dealings over the years. And there's so much I don't know about you. And there's so many stories that I'm so excited to hear hear about and, and what makes Brett Jefferson tick. So um, there we go. <laughs> awesome. That sounds great. Awesome. So, okay. So, um, you know, Brett, let's kind of start, go back to the, um, you know, to the beginning years, you know, what, wh- how did you become a, a conservation sur- superhero? How does that happen? Do you just wake up one day and throw a cape on or, or sort of, you know, what's the evolution? What, what led you to an interest in wild sheep and to conservation? And I know you've been doing this for decades. This is not something that just sort of popped up in the radar. So can you give us a, a background on that? If you don't mind? Sure. I'd happy to, um, uh, as, as you know, I, I grew up in Boulder City, Nevada, which is a which is a small town in southern Nevada that's near um, the dam and Lake Mead National Recreation Area. Um, and you know, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, um, we didn't uh, we didn't lock our doors, or we, you know, we left our keys in the cars in the driveway, and. Uh, uh, but we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of bighorn sheep. That were that were around our town, and uh, the bighorn sheep liked to, to periodically come into town, um, and they would frequent several parks uh, and hang out. Um, and uh, we had there was kind of a little phone tree in in the community where if the sheep were at a park, you know, some people would call, some people would call, some people, and you know, here pretty quick, everybody would know that the sheep were there, and and you could go and and view them and get get pretty close to them. Um, you know, the the sheep aren't uh, the sheep that are in the Lake Mead National Recreation Area. You know, they're not hunted, so they're not particularly afraid of of human contact. They'll let you get fairly close to them. Uh, so I was very accustomed to that as I was growing up as a kid. Um, you know, my dad was, uh, uh, he loved the outdoors. Um, he loved camping and, and, uh, shooting sports. And, um, he, he was a, a bird hunter, uh, in particular, um, but also hunted small, small game too. Uh, and it wasn't, it really wasn't until I moved away from Boulder City to go to college, um, that I really realized how special that was to see those bighorn sheep, uh, so frequently, um, uh, in Boulder City. Uh, so I longed for that. And whenever I came home, um, you know, it was a, it was a big deal. Let's go let's go look at sheep. Let's go find some sheep. Um, so, you know, desert, desert bighorn have been, had a special place in my heart. Um, uh, I worked for a while, uh, for Lake Mead Conservation Area. Um, and, uh, we would go out and, uh, I did, I did drafting, um, for campgrounds, uh, at uh for the park service 
And we would go out and we would do surveys and locate these campgrounds and whatnot. But we were, you know, we constantly would run into um, herds of bighorn sheep and and bands of bighorn sheep here and there and everywhere. And so um, they've had a special place in in my heart for a long time. Um, when I uh, uh, purchased the business here in in Reno, I came up and uh, uh, got involved with um, with a group. Uh, called Nevada Bighorns Unlimited, um, which is based out of out of Reno, um, and um, I, you know, went to their dinners and their fundraisers and uh, some of their projects. You know, they build a lot of water developments, um, and uh, eventually, uh, one of the veterinarians, uh, you know, reached out to me, and after I became a Gold Ram Life member, and he said, you know, we really need uh, someone like you on our board. Uh, so <clears throat> I got on the, uh, the NBU Reno board of directors, um, did that for a few years, uh, got elected to secretary and then treasurer, um, got kind of stuck in the treasurer position that, that happens frequently, um, to me. And, uh, uh, did that for a number of years, and then um, I met uh, I met Gray Thornton when they were uh, when Wild Sheep Foundation was coming back to um, to the Reno area for their annual convention. Um, I think that was 2008 or so. Uh, met Gray, and we visited and. Um, uh, I was kind of a liaison between Wild Sheep Foundation and Nevada um, Bighorns Unlimited. Um, and uh, uh, Gray, at one point, I, I don't remember exactly when, but uh, I went and visited him and Cody, um, toured the office. Um, we spent some time together, and he, he said, you know, you really ought to, you really ought to think about um, running for the board of directors for Wild Sheep Foundation. Um, we really need some conservation-minded folks, um, uh, and you're in the middle of it. So uh, I did that um, and uh, had a lot of friends that, uh, that I met through several of the chapter and affiliate summits that uh, helped promote me throughout the various chapters and affiliates, and I ended up getting elected uh, um, and then spent... Um, well, just finished up nine years on the board of directors. Uh, during that time, um, I moved. I moved back to the Las Vegas area, which is you know my home, kind of my home uh, home turf, um, and got involved with uh, the fraternity of the Desert Bighorn. Um, at the same time that I was a director for Wild Sheep Foundation. Um, uh, I had worked my way up to um, the president of the fraternity of the Desert Bighorn. Um, did that for uh, a number of years, and then uh, had to set that aside when I got elected chairman uh, uh, of the Wild Sheep Foundation Board of Directors, um, and just finished up, you know, a nine-year a nine-year stint on. Uh, the board of directors for Wild Sheep Foundation, and um, you know, really excited about the things that we've done over the last 
over the last you know decade and where we've come and where we're going. So that's kind of how I got to where I am, I suppose, with uh, with wild sheep. Well, phenomenal story, Brett, and and uh, interesting to note that uh, over these past nine years, the foundation has seen unprecedented growth, uh, unprecedented uh, conservation dollars put back on the landscape. And you were involved through that nine-year term and at the helm for the last three years. So um, phenomenal accomplishments. I, I, I had the opportunity to see it for a short period of time, the, the three years we served together, two, three years. Um, and uh, I have to say it's it's been a, one of the, the great joys of me being on the board is working with you, under you, um, Brett. And, and, and I learned so much. But during that time, there was an interesting story and I think it was right when I joined, and, and you tell a story, and I'd love for you to tell it for us today, about when you first got elected to the board, and you, you got involved, and you know, I showed up to the board, eyes wide open, and not knowing what to do, what to expect, but I remember you telling me when you first joined the board, and, and can you share that story with us about, I, I don't want to ruin it, but do you, do you recall well, the story I, that when you joined the board and something? I think, I think that I do remember the story that you're referring to. Um, uh, when I got when I got on the board, um, uh, there were at that time there were three there were three officer positions. There was a, a secretary, and then a vice chair, and then a chair. Um, and uh, one of the one of the retiring retiring directors that had been, you know, vice chair and chair and whatever, and and he and I were visiting. I think that it was probably one of the first board meetings and and uh he had mentioned to me he mentioned to me that uh you know it's gonna take you uh a few years um to get your feet on the ground um and uh you know feel feel comfortable with with uh with what goes on here at the Wild Sheep Foundation and on the board of directors and and uh i i suppose maybe i was a little bit cocky in those days or or what but i did i told him that uh um uh, that i didn't have a few years <laughs> i was i was here all in right now um and uh uh i wanted to fully engage right away um i wanted to be on committees um uh, uh i didn't uh hide my desire to you know to work my way into the chairs and and to help serve as in in leadership, um, so uh, uh, that's kind of that's kind of been my mantra. I was I suppose throughout my entire um, time with Wild Sheep Foundation is uh, you know I've kind of felt like uh, uh, you know wild sheep can't wait for our help, um, so I can't wait to help either. You know I'm ready to go. Uh, I, lo- I love that story, and and I've got to see that firsthand. You know, everything you did was with intention, with um, you know, drive and, and giving a hundred percent. And I still see that you're doing that now. You're not currently serving on the board because you've termed out, um, but you're still given that hundred and ten percent. So, but one of the questions I have for you, Brett, is you know, you've been in the wild sheep community for a long time. You've been there for literally decades. The foundation for a decade uh, plus. Can you talk to us, um, you know, if you could kind of single out one of your big achievements or your biggest achievement, I know it's kind of hard to segregate that and kind of putting you on the spot, but when you think back over, you know, decades of giving and, and, 
and award the awards you've won, the things you've done. What's the biggest achievement that you feel that you've given to the the conservation community and wild sheep? Well, I think um, there was a uh, there was a moment in time when I was chair when um, uh, we you know when I when I first got on the board we were kind of uh, uh, not in a great financial situation. We were just coming out of the lawsuit years and uh, things were very difficult for a while. And we spent a number of years um, organizing, you know, the, 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 uh, the foundation, um, building a structure, uh, building a, uh, I helped build a, a document library, um, for the foundation um, to be able to store and archive documents and and there was a there was a point um, uh, when i became when I became chair where we we made a big a big transition a big switch in our emphasis from um, saving money and becoming um, uh, financially secure we made this switch to we are now focused 100% on putting money on the ground and doing conservation work for wild sheep. Um, and for me, that, that transition, that was a real super point of inflection um, in you know, the Wild Sheep Foundation's commitment to conservation um, and conservation funding uh, from trying to support itself. Uh, so I would say that's probably, uh, for me, that's probably one of the most impact, impactful uh, events that occurred um, while, I, while I've been involved with, uh, with Wild Sheep. Uh, that's that's really cool, and and the, the you know a lot of people that I know that I, and not everybody knows the back history of of the foundation. You know how far it goes back and the challenging years that that the foundation went through. Um, but we look now, and and people equate the foundation with you know doing things. They put putting money on the ground. It's one of those organizations organizations that puts their money where their mouth is. And uh, you know, I think that's one of the things the foundation does well. So it's really interesting to hear that. And that's kind of the only foundation I know as well. But there were those years, you know, there were those lean years and 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 the lawsuit and that sort of stuff. Do you, can you do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? So those early years, and I hear Wayne Henderson talk a little bit about this and stuff too, where those, you know, those early years where, you know, it was touch and go, you know, post lawsuit and the foundation wasn't in this really strong financial position that, that we enjoy today. Right. So can you talk about that, that stewardship? Because you were part of that process. You came right in at right at the ground floor when all that, you know, that the foundation was it was struggling a bit and to build it into the the powerhouse it is today can you talk us through a little bit about what you guys went through in that transition yeah i i i think so um you know when uh, <clears throat> you know when when we when the foundation hired uh gray thornton to be president and ceo uh you know it was a it was a real feather in our cap um and uh, what a what a dynamic person uh, what an incredible leader! Um, but Gray walked into kind of a, a, a you know a tempest in a teapot kind of situation. 
um, you know, the foundation was not was not secure, uh, and uh, you know, we had uh, you know taken taken a, a loan against um, our life member fund to try to get us out of um, you know that lawsuit, um, and uh, the lawsuit was, of course, over you know over um, what you you know what you call four dead sheep. Um, which is when you look back on it now, a pretty silly thing for conservation organizations to be wasting money in court, uh, suing each other over. Um, but that was that was before my time, and I kind of I feel like uh, the board that I walked into was kind of the reconstruction board, and um, was like, okay, how are we gonna? You know, we need to we need to rebuild. <clears throat> excuse me, we need to get out of this situation. Um, and uh, how are we going to do that? <clears throat> so early on, the board was very, very focused on uh, being fiscally, well, not that they're not focused on being f- fiscally competent now, but then it was, it was really tight. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, I mean, we were, t- we were, considering ways of how are we going to make payroll and things like that. So it was a, it was a difficult time for the foundation and um, you know, the board persevered, the staff persevered, um, you know, gray led the way uh, the board of directors led the way. And uh, uh, you know, we, we all, you know, kind of pulled our bootstraps up and, and uh, turned the, you know, eventually, you know, in about three years, you know, we started turning the corner and, and things really started looking positive and headed in the right direction. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's it's certainly a turnaround story for the books. Um, so, you know, over that um, that time frame, you know, there's been been a lot of changes and um, a lot of um, you know new opportunities and and uh, so you know over if you look back now and you look to where we're at today and you look on the horizon looking forward. You know what? What are the what are some of the big challenges for the foundation that you see that kind of lie ahead? What are some of the things that you know are, are come to mind for you that we you know we need to be thinking about and um, you know risks that that um, you know because we're in a, a great position financially. Um, we got tons of supporter memberships at an all time high. Um, we're, we're really look things the, the future looks bright. So is there things on the horizon that are of concern for you and things that were you know that you keep you up at night or? Well, I you know the you know the disease issue is probably um, you know the biggest thing that that weighs on on my mind um, as as far as wild sheep conservation goes. Um, you know, I was um, I was in Las Vegas. It actually it was about the time that I got. Uh, transferred to Las Vegas, where you know there was a um, there was a de- disease event, which is which is another another term for all age die off um, uh, in the old dad complex in in uh, Southern California uh, in the Mojave Desert, uh, and it was a pretty major die off. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you know, I don't know that. Uh, that individuals were ever prosecuted, but it was, you know, uh, you know, the word was that, you know, it was, it came from, you know, some very sick, uh, domestic sheep that got essentially dumped out, um, in the desert. Um, and, 
they were sick and they were left to die. And um, they came in contact with some uh, desert bighorn sheep. And next thing you know, you know, you've got this uh, huge die-off going on in the Mojave National Preserve um, and uh, the old dad complex. Well, it took uh, right about 18 months um, for that disease of event in Southern California to reach Las Vegas. Um, and it didn't just reach Las Vegas through one mountain range. It, it reached Las Vegas through the entire surrounding mountain ranges. Um, so we had, you know, we had, we had sheep that were dying, um, in multiple mountain ranges. Um, uh, I even went, I even went out on a hike in, in the Red Rock mountains, which was really close to town. Uh, you can be at the, you can be in the Red Rocks and on a trail in about 20 minutes. Um, and, uh, there were literally, you know, dead sheep bodies all over, um, easy to find. Uh, so that was, you know, that's very impactful for me and it, uh, it helps you to realize how important, um, these animals are and how they're entrusted, uh, we're entrusted with their care. Uh, and, uh, we've, we've come since that time, we've come so far in our understanding and knowledge, um, uh, and uh, mitigation of, uh, diseases, um, in, uh, desert bighorn sheep and, um, thinhorn sheep, uh, through science, uh, that the science is kind of catching up to where, you know, we wanted it to be, uh, about a decade ago. Um, and we know a lot, we know a lot more than what we knew, um, a decade ago. And, uh, I think that that's, that's really made a huge difference in the conservation of wild sheep. Um, but now we're in the, um, to me, we're kind of in the roll up our sleeves stage. Um, okay. We know what we have to do. Um, we know what's going to happen. Um, and, uh, we know that, we know that there's things that we can do with domestic sheep, um, uh, to improve herd health and minimize and mitigate, um, contact, uh, with wild sheep. And, uh, we're starting to make some progress in that regard. Uh, but, you know, we've got a long ways to go. Um, but I think that we have some very clear direction now that, um, that we didn't have a decade ago. Excellent. Um, so it's, it's interesting. We look back to the sixties where, you know, what, what was the numbers? 25,000 sheep or something to, you know, today we're talking 85,000 pushing up towards a hundred. So, you know, three, four times where we were. Um, so, you know, we can make the argument that bighorn sheep are doing quite well under the foundation's watch. The foundation started in the sixties, um, you know, um, so great, great work there. So now, you know, we, we're seeing work being done by the foundation in Mexico. There's a Mexico initiative. Um, and I know 
Brett, you were pivotal in the Asia initiative, that there was a lot of work done in, in Asia um, to support um, wild sheep there. Um, if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about the work that's involved there and, and, and how important that is moving forward for the foundation. Well, there, there were um, uh, actually uh, in, in Central Asia, um, our, our initial contacts there came from uh, a Facebook contact. Um, and uh, this, is, this is back when I, was, um, uh, when I was working with Nevada Bighorns Unlimited um, and uh, a fellow... A fellow in Kazakhstan um, who eventually has, you know, become a very good friend of mine, uh, named Max Levin. Um, he reached out to me and he said, "I I want to I want to know more about these water developments. I want to understand them better." Um, and uh, I would be getting up at five o'clock in the morning, and he would be coming in at five o'clock at night, um, and we would visit. Um, uh, through uh, uh, Facebook um, and using Facebook's translator, which has come a long way in ten years too. Uh, you know, translating back and forth um, from English to Russian uh, can be pretty problematic, but uh, it's you know it's really come a long way uh, through the process. But so you know, we talked a lot um, about water developments and how what some of the success stories that um, have occurred in Nevada um, and throughout the West with um, water developments and, you know, uh, understanding that, uh, you know, the early settlers and the railroads, uh, you know, wherever they went, you know, they, they, they stole wildlife's water um, and, uh, prevented wildlife from being able to use those water sources that were readily available to them. So through um, these large-scale water development um, initiatives in various states, we've been able to, you know, bring water back to wildlife and help them help desert bighorn sheep um, as well as all other wildlife flourish. So um, there was a... uh, there was a contingent that was coming from Kazakhstan uh, to uh, the SCI convention, um, and Wild Sheep Foundation was going to um, be their ambassadors and their tour tour guides uh, of the SCI convention in um, in Las Vegas. And um, uh, I knew about I knew about um, the delegation. Uh, and I got a call one morning, um, uh, and there was a very, you know, there was a, a Russian on the phone that had very, a very thick accent that was trying to talk to me. And, uh, he gave the phone to, uh, a young lady interpreter, uh, and it turned out it was Max and he was in Barstow, Nevada, and he was trying to find, connect with some biologists, um, some California biologists uh, and do a sheep tour on the Mojave National Preserve, and I happened to know the biologist, uh, the biologist and the state vet, and we worked out a meet, um, and then uh, I ended up being their tour guide um, for the SCI convention, and that's really how I got involved with um, 
the Central Asian Initiative? Um, was it just it just happened that I knew some of the the delegates and uh, uh, became readily acquainted with them, and uh, we took them on a tour around some of the Southern Nevada water developments, and they got to see some sheep, and they thought that was that was all pretty cool. So uh, you can't you can't really do conservation um, for wild sheep without funding, um, and uh, we had a a donor. Uh, uh, of the Wild Sheep Foundation that came forward um, and wanted to fund um, our Kazakhstan initiative. Uh, And he, that individual gave us the funding um, to be able to, um, you know, get, get Kurt Alt on the ground there, uh, get him meeting with, um, uh, some of the biologists, uh, the sheep, the Argali biologists in Kazakhstan, um, and we started working on a, a conservation plan, an Argali conservation plan um, that was uh, all through you know this this donor uh, uh, that came forward, and uh, you know we've uh, it's been a long. It's been a long, hard battle, as you know. There's been a uh, you know a government, a change in government in Kazakhstan, uh, and a lot of these regulations that we needed to get in place um, in order to uh, sell conservation permits um, and create a revenue stream for conservation in Kazakhstan. Um, required a lot of regulations. Um, I mean, a foreigner, a foreigner in Kazakhstan, you can't even touch a gun um, uh, at the beginning of this process. And uh, we've been making a lot of headway. Uh, we keep we keep getting we keep getting very close um, and working our way through all of the various ministries um, in the government of Kazakhstan and. Uh, I think that we're we're very close right now. Um, we've had uh, uh, I think that we've had three hunts uh, of our golly of three different species um, that that were kind of our pilot program um, to demonstrate you know revenue stream um, uh, for conservation funding, and uh, I think that it's made it's made a a big, it's made a big impact, uh, and is a model that other countries are now um, interested in following, like um, Tajikistan um, and Kyrgyzstan, that are you know interested in the model that we're creating in Kazakhstan, um, and are now stepping forward in a big way uh, uh, to create conservation programs for wild sheep in in those countries as well. Just out of curiosity, Brett, um, how impactful was COVID on this? It seemed to me that that did play, you know, we were trying to get, uh, from my understanding, there was reps we were trying to get from Kazakhstan and maybe Tajik as well over to the U.S., even just for Sheep Week, that that, that was impeded in some capacity. And then, But it, then trying to get hunters over there 
was really challenging as well. Did COVID play a role in that or wasn't really it, a factor? You know, it it had a it played a huge role in international travel, period. Um uh, you know, I uh I mean I have I have friends in northern British Columbia that, you know, I'd been traveling up there um every year for I don't know, eight years or something like that, and that just ended. Just um it was eliminated right out of the gate. So it's very difficult um, for international travel and for us to continue um, the face-to-face kind of camaraderie um, uh, and working sessions uh, pre-COVID that we had that were that were advancing the Central Asia Initiative um, uh, to be able to perpetuate those during COVID. It was very problematic, and uh, it it caused us. A, a slowdown, um, a lack, a lack of progress there for um, two years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was kind of thinking that that was that was a factor. Um, okay, Brett. So now, if we look, um, you spent nine years on the board. You termed out with the the foundation, but uh, you're not one to rest on your laurels. So uh, I know you're still heavily involved. There's committees that I serve on that I work with you on. Uh, but one of the ones that I find interesting, and there's been some new, um, you know, the foundation, you know, uh, CEO Thornton and Chair Landers say, you know, they talk about, certainly Gray talks about maintaining our relevancy as a conservation organization. And, um, you know, Chair Landers, uh, as a new chair, he's got a number of initiatives that he's very bullish on um, doing big stuff. Uh, I think he has a different name for that, which I won't use on the podcast today. But um, when we look at that, so you chair the conservation committee. Um, and to me, that, that this is a really important committee. And, and I, from what I understand, there's some really significant changes coming out of that committee. Can you touch a little bit about you know, what your role is there and some of the things that you guys are looking at. I, I've had the opportunity to hear some of the work that you guys are doing and it's really exciting and, and I know Gray's certainly excited about it as well. Can you share a little bit on that um, for us? Yeah, sure. It's uh, uh, really the, the, you know, we've always had a conservation committee, um, but um, with with uh, the retirement of a couple of our uh, uh, conservation directors, uh, it really caused us to take us take a step back um, and maybe rethink how um, how the foundation approaches conservation um, and how we go through um, and execute our conservation goals um, and how much of that um, is actually hands on by the foundation. And how much of that might be hands-on through our chapters and affiliates? Uh, so what we've what what we've been tasked to do um, uh, by then uh, Chair Peregrine Wolf was to, if you could take a a blank, <coughs> excuse me, if you could take a blank a blank dry marker board, um, and you could start this all over. Uh, from ground zero without any of uh, predetermined uh, notions of how things are supposed to be, um, try to start it over and and do a a reboot. Um, So we've spent spent a lot of time on this committee. Um, 
you know, I'm the I, I'm the North American Conservation Chair. Um, uh, Jack Atchison Jr. is the uh, International Conservation Chair. Um, the other members of that committee, of course, you know, Gray Thornton, of course, um, uh, Kevin Hurley, but also uh, uh, past chair Paragon Wolf, uh, and uh, a few other key uh, folks from uh, the board of directors, uh, uh, the treasurer, uh, uh, Charlie Charlie Kelly uh, is on the committee, and we've spent we've spent a lot of time on restructuring. Um, how the foundation approaches conservation, which includes, um, you know, taking a hard look at our um, uh, how the board uh, is structured with respect to its um, interactions with staff um, and committees, and how can we streamline things to make them faster, better, more reactive. Uh, to situations um, and uh, more responsive. Uh, that includes the uh, the grant and aid process. We've pretty much um, overhauled the grant and aid process, um, and we've in, we've included um, you know this this legacy project um, uh, concept that uh, we're just testing it out this year, but. The idea is to uh, create um, legacy projects that are that are long long term commitments um, to specific uh, regions, um, states or provinces, what have you, uh, with a focus on a specific population of wild sheep, uh, and to uh, uh, I think Gray Thornton. Uh, chimed it very well. He said, "Well, what would you, you know, what would you do if, if you had a hundred thousand dollars a year for um, five years? What would you do with that money to make the biggest impact possible um, on wild sheep in your neck of the woods?" Uh, and it's it's really caused all of the chapter and affiliates to take a step back and really think about. Um, long-term uh, projects and, and long-term ideas um, uh, as opposed to f- the fiscal year cycle. Um, you know, even the foundation was in, was in a fiscal year cycle. What are we going to do this fiscal year? Um, well, the, the chapters and affiliates were kind of in that type of a cycle too, um, where they, they, the, the limit of their thought processes were from between this fundraising banquet to the next fundraising banquet, um, and what were we going to do in between? And now it's kind of it's this new concept in in conservation and conservation structure is you know giving everybody the opportunity to take a step back and start thinking long term. What can we what can we do long term? Um, for uh, wild sheep um, in uh, southern southern British Columbia, what can we do long term for wild sheep in southern Nevada? Um, and it's uh, I think that it's really it's really causing uh, you know I would call it uh, 
uh, a conservation revolution where people are now they're they're thinking completely differently than what they thought you know a year uh, a, a year ago or two years ago we're starting to see um, people to be um, more more bullish and and more uh, more creative um, and more gutsy on uh, on how we can help wild sheep over the long term uh, and you start thinking of, of five years instead of you know one year uh, so it's 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 been a huge impact I think um, industry wide um, in wild sheep yeah, that's awesome. I, I've heard Gray use the term "be bold," and and uh, you know it's it's really exciting about. And you know, I had the opportunity at our last board meeting to hear you talk about you know the vision for this conservation committee that you presented for us there. And and I'm really excited about the work that you guys are doing. You guys and girls reviewing this and and looking with a new lens at it and a more holistic lens. And it's pretty exciting. And I think uh, the resource is definitely going to benefit for it long term. So awesome! Really, really exciting. Um, okay, so now you've you've finished up your nine year term and you've termed out. You, you know you can't. Uh, it's a, it's it's a constitution and bylaw thing from the foundation, but you're still heavily involved. Um, today you're sitting across on the screen here. You got your fraternity shirt on. Um, you're you're not resting on your laurels. Where does Brett Jefferson go from here in terms of what you know? I I know you're not hanging up the conservation. Uh, stirrups just yet. So where do you go from here? What, what's your next step? Well, I think um, uh, one of, you know, one of my um, pet projects or one of the things that I uh, feel is very important um, to wild sheep in, in my neck of the woods is, uh, uh, you know, what happens to desert bighorn sheep on the Desert National Wildlife Refuge. Um, and I've been, I have been working on the desert national wildlife refuge, uh, actually for longer than I've been on the board of directors. So, um, you know, as you, as you know, it's the, it's the, it's the largest refuge, um, in the lower 48. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, second, second in size to, uh, the Anwar in Alaska, um, the refuge was was created um, specifically uh, for uh, the preservation, enhancement, and perpetuation of desert bighorn sheep. Um, and in about about uh, uh, it, unfortunately, geography wise. Uh, it butts right up to the Nevada Test and Training Range, um, which is a you know significant. Um, I mean, it's you know it's it's the Area 51s and and everything that you know the atomic atomic uh, bomb testing uh, everything. So it butts up to the Nevada Test and Training Range, um, uh, and a portion a portion of the refuge uh, is actually actually. Uh, under the jurist under um, the jurisdiction of the Air Force in the valleys, um, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, is uh, still holds the jurisdiction of of the mountains um, 
in uh, the, we call it the NTTR, which is the Nevada Test and Training Range. Um, so, you know, I've, uh, we've, you know, the, the, there was a point when uh, a number of years ago, you know, the Air Force wanted to take most of the entire rest of the refuge um, and, and included in uh, the National Test and Training Range and uh, uh, through the efforts of uh, uh, a broad coalition of organizations, uh, some, some of whom the Wild Sheep Foundation and the Fraternity of the Desert Bighorn wouldn't normally work with, um, but they came together and worked together uh, to oppose uh, the Air Force on um, the refuge. Um, and uh, now we're in a position where, uh, oh, and I should mention Greg Shieldwalker too, uh, because without, without Greg Shieldwalker's efforts um, in Washington, D.C., um, and with our uh, Wild Sheep Foundation chapter and affiliate fly-ins and, and meeting face-to-face, um, with, uh, with, uh, with our legislators in Washington, D.C., we never would have, uh, we never would have beat the Air Force back. Um, and Greg, Greg made a huge impact on, on that effort, uh, that was very, very positive. Uh, but, but right now we've, we've got a proposal, um, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, Nevada Department of Wildlife, uh, uh, with uh, the support of the Fraternity of the Desert Bighorn, uh, has a proposal in um, for grant in the grant and aid process with Wild Sheep Foundation that uh, you know we want to start um, collaring sheep on the refuge, um, getting a better understanding of um, the various populations of sheep and their sizes, um, what how what their migratory patterns are annually um because we want to you know we want to grow sheep on the desert national wildlife refuge um and that's something that you know we've been we've been in this protection mode um for so long and so many years that we haven't been in a uh, conservation and enhancement mode and now we're taking the steps forward uh to be in the conservation and enhancement mode of those um, desert bighorn sheep on the refuge, and uh, in hopes of of growing those populations, so that uh, you know they're they're available for um, you folks from British Columbia to come down and see, um, as well as you know your children and and my children and my grandchildren. So it's it's uh, the desert national wildlife refuge is a big thing to me and. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that's going to remain on, on my radar, I'm sure for as long as I'm in, uh, the wild sheep conservation business. Well, and Brett, you know, one of the things that I've noticed about the NTTR and the Desert National Refuge is the, the passion that you have. And, um, you know, you, you have truly been, um, a stalwart for this, this cause, um, and we have a, a ton of great people that are working on this. I know uh, Larry Jacobs through Lack, and obviously Greg Schildwalker and, and um, a ton of people at the fraternity have been, you know, fighting this fight for a long time. 
And, but without somebody carrying that torch, that would have never happened. Right. And, uh, so it's, it goes to show you that if, if you truly care about something and you actually put the effort in, um, and you inspire people that good things can happen for, for wildlife. And I, to me, this is a huge success story and, uh, one that's been ongoing. Um, one thing I'd be curious to know, uh, Brad, is what are what are the the sheep numbers doing in Nevada? That that that's been another huge success story. There's been significant growth. Can you talk a little bit about the growth you've seen, and and maybe in the refuge itself, on what that looks like? Yeah, there's um, uh, the the sheep in Nevada uh, have had pretty good pretty good growth success um, since 1964. Um, I want to say in the fraternity was founded in 1964, and I'm I'm pretty sure uh, it's the it's the oldest um, wild sheep conservation organization in the world. Um, you know they were they were the four forerunners. Um, they were out in front of everybody, um, <clears throat> and at that time there were you know it's difficult to estimate because they had no population estimates, but. They guessed that there were only about um, 2,000 or so desert bighorn sheep left in Nevada uh, in 1964, and through you know long-term conservation efforts and and constructing water developments, um, you know throughout southern Nevada and on into uh, central and northern Nevada, um, there are uh, several. Um, Bighorn Sheep Conservation Groups, uh, uh, the oldest um, NBU, Nevada Bighorns Unlimited, is the Fallon chapter. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's uh, NBU Reno. Uh, and then there's uh, NBU Midas um, and uh, Elko Bighorns Unlimited. So all of, all of those groups kind of, you know, s- spread out from... Uh, you know, across the north from California to Utah and then all the way down to the south to the fraternity uh, have just made incredible progress over the years on on growing desert bighorn sheep and California bighorn sheep. So our, our, desert, prop, our desert population, um, you know, was about... I think that it peaked um, a couple of years ago at about 15,000. Um, and we went from, so 1964, I want to say that there were there were two tags um, and uh, we're up to about 280 tags now. Um, a lot of huntable populations. Um, and... Uh, We've had a little bit of a problem the last couple of years with um, lack of precipitation. Um, water developments are great, but uh, if it doesn't rain, uh, the tanks don't fill and there isn't there isn't water. So we've been in a, a really extreme drought situation the last two years uh, up until this monsoon season. Uh, this monsoon season has been very positive, but we... St- we still have a few uh, uh, ranges that um, uh, are of concern that don't have enough water yet. Uh, but in talking with uh, with Mike Cox, who's our uh, with you know Endow's um, uh, bighorn sheep specialist, you know we 
we estimate that we we probably lost several thousand um, uh, desert bighorn over the last two years due to um, lack of water um, and not being able to uh, to get water to all the sheep. We've done a you know as you know uh, we've done a lot of water hauls um, in northern Nevada and in southern Nevada. Uh, hauling water to specific ranges. Um, it's really sad when you have to prioritize sheep populations and, and where, where you can, you have X amount of dollars to haul water. Um, and in order to haul that water, you've got to prioritize where you're going to haul it to. Um, and unfortunately, that means that, that some, some herds, uh, you know, didn't get the benefit of emergency water hauls to water development. So we did, we did lose some sheep the last couple of years, but still, uh, you know, the, the, the recovery of desert bighorn sheep in Nevada, you know, overall over the long haul has been a success story. Um, and it's primarily attributed to, you know, those, those groups that I mentioned, those NGOs, uh, their partnerships with, the Nevada Department of Wildlife and uh, the Nevada Department of Wildlife's commitment to, um, you know, to uh, wild sheep uh, and uh, enhancing and perpetuating those populations. Uh, awesome, Brett. Sorry, I had a technical issue there. Um, so, Brett, um, you know, you talked a lot about the great work that these different conservation organizations are doing. You talked about uh, NDOW, um and being the uh, the true gentleman and humble individual you are, uh, there's no mention of the great work that and that that you continue you have done and continue to do. So in 19, uh, 2018, you were the recipient of the Wayne e. Kirsch Conservation Award. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What what was involved with that, and uh, and sort of how it feels to be kind of singled out. I know you always take the high road and and talk about the team that you're part of and. Um, but you know, you are an inspiration, Brett, with your, your dedication and commitment and, and the fire in your step when it comes to, when there's a cause, don't get in Brett Jefferson's way because he will run you over. <laughs> so, um, let's talk a little bit about that award and, um, and what it was like to receive that, um, to be part of that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best, uh, without getting, I'll do my best not to get emotional that that award is probably, uh. Uh, one of the high point high points of my conservation career. Um, uh, there's so many people to thank, uh, you know, for that award that um, uh, that nominated me and wrote letters for me, um, uh, and uh, um, advocated uh, for me with uh, with the Kirsch Committee. Uh, to receive that award, um, it it occurred um, <clears throat> uh, in 2018 when I was uh, uh, chairman of uh, uh, the board of directors of Wild Sheep Foundation, and I was also um, on the uh, the board of directors for the Fraternity of the Desert Bighorn at the time, and uh, uh, you know we had really done some pretty remarkable things uh conservation wise in 
in Nevada, um, both uh, Wild Sheep Foundation and uh, uh, the Fraternity of the Desert Bighorn. Uh, and I was just, I'm just so blessed. Um, uh, there's so many incredible, I mean, my hero list are past recipients of uh, the Wayne e. Kirsch Award. Uh, I mean, you'll, I mean, you can look at that award list and, uh, you know, Eddie Pribble, one, a charter member of the Fraternity of the Desert Bighorn. I think, you know, he was one of the first recipients. Uh, uh, Clint Bentley uh, is on that list. Uh, I could just go on and on with, uh, with the number of people that uh, uh, had an influence on me um, during, while I was working my way up in the conservation world uh, and helped me uh, to be more effective and do a better job um, uh, and understand the business because, you know, conservation is a business. Um, uh, it's not all just about sheep. Uh, it's, it's about people uh, that have a passion for wild sheep and getting results from that, those, those passions, uh, to make an impact on, on sheep. Uh, so yes, that, um, receive, and I received that award actually, uh, uh, Brad Johnston, um, somebody that when I first started on, uh, the Nevada Bighorns Unlimited Board of Directors. He was on the Board of Directors with me, and he was chairman of uh, uh, the Nevada Board of Wildlife Commissioners, and he presented the award to me. Uh, and that was a very special moment because he and I kind of started out in this uh, conservation world, um, you know, together uh, at the same time. So it was uh, uh, very special and uh, a, it's just a huge, a huge honor. That's awesome, Brett. Well, I have to say, in Mike's, my opinion, it's well deserved. And I couldn't think of anyone more deserving. And it's, uh, I remember when you were receiving that award, and it was certainly, uh, certainly exciting to see that, and really, really cool. So, with yourself, you've spent decades, literally decades, of putting sheep on the mountain, and. You know, it's interesting that the foundation has the take one, put one back, I think. And it, what's that number? 5000 or $5,500. You make a donation, and that's kind of what it takes to put a sheep on the mountain. And if I started adding up what Brett Jefferson himself was responsible for of putting on the mountain, I, I can't imagine. It's probably hundreds, if not thousands of sheep. So, um, But you've never taken one off. You're a member of the Less Than One Club. You, you, you share that distinction with, with Steve on the call today. Um, but I think that might be changing. So I was at the Life Member Breakfast this past um, uh, this past Sheep Week, and uh, the La Pomosa Hunt, the, the Life Member Breakfast winner, uh, they called a name we we're familiar with. So you're going hunting in La Pomosa on your first, you know, this will be your, you know, yeah, you have a sheep tag and you're going to go hopefully kill a monster ram with uh, Emilio and his family down there. So how does that feel? What's that like? Is it surreal? What T tell us about that experience. I can't even imagine to win that. And and after all you put in, mm -hmm. in into sheep conservation, all you've given, and to take one off the mountain, I just I can't imagine. T tell us what that feels. Well, like. I'm I'm pretty excited about the hunt. Um, I was uh, uh, it was funny when 
you know, I was sitting around, I, I was sitting around friends, um, while the drawing was going on and, and Gray was going on and on about, you know, who the person was that was, you know, without divulging who it was. And there were several people sitting around and I said, that's you, that's you. <laughs> um, and I'm like, no, that's it. No. Uh, and then he called my name and, uh, I, I don't think my feet touched the ground for a week. Um, uh, so exciting. Um, and, uh, so thrilled. Uh, I mean, um, uh, Emilio, uh, Rangel and, uh, La Pomosa has done so much for, um, wild sheep conservation throughout the United States, um, uh, and, and Canada. Um, you know, it's just, it's just incredible what they've, what they've done and what they've given, um, and their, and their commitment to, um, uh, the, in, the individual and making an impact to the individual. So, uh, I mean, I remember, I remember when, uh, when Darren Epps, um, uh, was, you know, was drawn, um, and he's a pretty good friend of mine and, uh, uh, you know, how thrilled I was for him. And, uh, I was very blessed that, you know, he was there too, um, and came up and congratulated me. So, uh, I'm, I, I'm just stoked beyond belief. Um, uh, my hunt dates are, uh, uh, February 23rd, uh, is when we, uh, arrive, uh, at La Pomosa and, uh, uh, we're going to get after it pretty hard and exciting. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm just thrilled. I can't even. I'm not even sure that I'm capable of explaining how uh, how I feel about it and how exciting it is. Um, you know, I've been waiting years to draw a sheep tag here in Nevada, um, and haven't been lucky enough to do that yet. Uh, so this is a this is a huge opportunity. I'm really excited. I can't think of anyone more deserving and uh you know I can't cannot wait Jeez. to to hear about the hunt and I, I you know I would love to have you back on after oh, so yeah. you know keep us in mind cuz uh yeah we want to we want to hear the hear the whole story hear all 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 of it so um and I'll tell you for your first sheep tag that's a pretty oh, solid sheep tag to be to be drawn for yes uh it's uh unbelievable so uh, but in my opinion, there's no one more deserving. Truly, there is no one more deserving than yourself, Brett. And, um, you know, just uh, an honor to have served with you on our board of directors and to continue to serve, um, you know, in volunteer capacity now with, with the different committees we serve on. And I always look to you for your leadership and guidance. And, and it's always just an inspiration being around you when it comes to wild sheep. So thank you for all you do day in and day out and have done for, for literally decades for, for the resort. Oh, thank you very much, Kyle. I, I really appreciate those kind words. And, um, you know, none of us, uh, none of us are really into this, um, for ourselves. We're all into this, um, for the resource and, and the people that we meet that are like-minded that are, committed and dedicated to the resource as well, um, like you and, and Steve. So thank you both very much for all that you do, 
uh, and continue to do for wild sheep. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brett. And we're we're going to see you back in March. We're going to talk sheep again in March. We're going to talk about uh, Lapamosa Desert Bighorn. I'm looking. So. I'm looking awesome. forward to it. <laughs>